0: How are we doing? Good, good. I, I don't know about you, but I felt like, I felt like, especially there um, after Eric encouraged us, that um, I felt like you guys were trying to outsing them. I, I love that. And I, I think that really should be kind of the intention every week, shouldn't it? Like, they should try to outsing and yeah, I, lo- I love it. And guys, like, when you pull back like that, and we get to hear the saints just corporately come together, I mean, that gets me fired up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wet wood we've got a program that we can get you into and dry that stuff out anyways um if you have your Bibles, grab those. We're going to be in Acts chapter six this morning. Acts chapter six. Uh, we are currently in a series which will lead us up uh, to Easter. Um, we're just looking at spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines. Uh, really, all it is is us focusing back on who we are as the church, getting back to um, who we're called to be, what what we're called to be about, uh, what that means, and so uh, as it pertains to God's Word, as it pertains to the Trinity, as it pertains to uh, uh, salvation, and and even as we're kind of doing a little portion here uh, as we talk in depth about, about the church. Uh, last week, what we did is we just pretty much just covered who she is. Uh, we looked at, at who the church is, and we'll talk in a second uh, more about that. I'm not going to have time to unpack all of that, um, but we'll, we'll just briefly touch on it for a second. And so uh, what I want to do is, as you're turning to Acts 6, I, I want to just kind of tell you a little bit of Scripture and then read a verse. You don't have to turn there. It's in Matthew 16. But you have Jesus. He uh, arrives there at Caesarea Philippi, um, and he asks his disciples this question, who do people say that I am? Who's everybody saying that, that, that I am? And so his, uh, his disciples respond. And what they do is they respond by giving him names of some of the old prophets. Elijah, just some of the different uh, old men of the faith, old prophets. And then Jesus does this thing where he's very, very intentional. And this is what I love about Jesus is he's always so intentional. And, and what he does is he looks at his disciples. He's like, but who, who do you say that I am? And Peter, we know Peter from the Scriptures. He's very zealous. He's very uh, outspoken. He's a go-getter. And Peter steps up and he says, you're the Christ. You're the living Son of God. And so Peter responds in that way. And Jesus commends Peter. He says, Peter, that, that's exactly right. Great job, man. He said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but, but God himself, the Holy Spirit, has revealed this to you. This is not just common knowledge, man. You've, 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 you've seen this and God's given you this. And then Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 16, 18. He says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I love that. I don't know. And, and last week we kind of did this thing where we kind of played for a moment and was open and honest. Um, safe place, right? Church should be a safe place. And so we asked some questions. Who have you ever been burnt by the church? Who's felt like leaving the church and wanting nothing to do with her? And, and just this list of questions, and, and hands went up everywhere. And so what that shows me is that there's a great commonality about, uh, in this room of men and women who have felt uh, burnt or hurt or neglected or taken advantage of or, or who knows what by the church. And the thing is is that whenever you read the scriptures and you look at God's word, especially even here in Matthew 16 as Jesus responds about the church, he says, man, even the gates of hell shall, come, shall not come against her, that, that the church is near and dear to his heart. And then on top of that, I quoted some statistics talking about how uh, uh, the, the outside world views the church as hypocritical, it views it uh, as out of touch, it views it as too political, it views it as and all of these different things that are, are in a negative light, and we talked about that for just a moment, and, and I said, really, the, the problem with the church is the men and women sitting in here, and the guy standing on the stage, and, and the team that leads us in worship, and the ones that push... The sound system and the PowerPoint and all of those. St- the problem is us in here. Why? Because we're in process. We're growing. We're learning. Some of us are more mature than others. And in that maturing and growing up, there's going to be hurts. There's going to be hangups. There's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be a number of things that happens. And so what, what I look at whenever I see this, this scripture here is just a, a very weighty, heavy scripture. Because we're not building the church on Peter. Like, There's nothing special about Peter. That, that's, not what, that's not what Jesus is saying here. We're not going to make a big deal out of Peter because Peter is just, uh, he's not the, 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 the whole point to the story. No, Jesus is the point to the story. And that's what Jesus is commending Peter about. Not the fact that, that Peter's awesome and great because just a few sentences later, if you read down in your Bible, uh, uh, Jesus is going to call him Satan and say, get behind me. So I don't know how, like, how much we commend him for this, but I mean, that's great that he got it, uh, but has what he got uh, played into the reality of what he should know and be doing? But, 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 but what we're building the church upon is the statement that Peter says. No, you are the Christ. You're the living Son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. And if we look through the Scriptures, we see that Jesus gets all authority given to him, right? Matthew 28, all authority has been given to you. Heaven, earth, everywhere. So what Jesus says goes. What Jesus, uh, Jesus is the one that's in, in control, has the final say, and that's what we're building the reality of the church. Christ is the head of the church is what that means. Jesus is the main point to everything that we do in this place. The reason why we gather here, everything. He is our head. He is our cornerstone. That's who Jesus Christ is for us. So everything we do has to be based upon what he said, who he is, and what he expects and asks of us. And the thing that I love here, though the church from time to time gets banged up and bruised and gets a bad name, what Jesus says is, is the church is what he is going to use to move in a mighty, mighty way in this world to reach the dark. To show people and introduce people to who he is. He is going to use the church. And the church is precious and very, very near and dear to her heart. And so last week, just what we looked at is this. is We just defined what the church is. And we looked at some of her characteristics. And then we looked at Jesus being the cornerstone of the church. And so I will just encourage you, if you missed last week or if you need to catch up or if you've ever been in a church where you've been hurt or you've been burnt, we addressed some of those things and talked a little bit uh, about some of those things. So I'd encourage you to go back and, and look at that, hear that. You can download it from our app. You can look at it on our website. But I would just encourage you to, to get into that because we just can't, we can't dive in fully again and rehash all of that. Because today what we're going to do is we're just going to focus on what happened in the early church. We're going to look here in the book of Acts chapter 6 at what happened in the early church and look at how how it grew. And as it grew, problems came. And so they had to restructure and they had to do some stuff to be able to to meet the needs of the people. So I'm going to ask you if you'd join me as we pray. And then we'll jump in here this morning to Acts chapter 6. Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. Father God, I, I just beg of you to move in a mighty way in this place. God, I pray that you continue to move from last week. God, just bring healing upon us. Father, I, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would invade this place and fall heavy upon the hearts of the men and women in this room. Father, I, I know, I'm, I'm no different than anybody else in this room. I've got, I've got issues with the church. I've got hangups. I've got hurts. I've got things that have happened in my life that have kind of shaped and molded me and formed me about my opinion with the church. But God, what we see in your scripture is that she is precious and near and dear to your heart. God, the, you, the church is who you love. And God, I want to talk about the church even. It's not a name on a building, but it's a people that you're raising up, people that you've saved and redeemed. And so, Father, in that, we're all in process. We're all growing and maturing. And so, Father, I pray that this morning that that's what takes place here in this place. God, that you you press us, shape us, and mold us into the image of your Son. Father, I want to pray this as I do every week, that you'd save the lost in this place this morning. God, that your Holy Spirit would reveal to hearts their great need for you. And God, that you'd save them. And God, for those of us in this room that's in process, God, that you would press us along in maturity. God, don't, don't let us be satisfied and okay with where we're at. God, give us a greater hunger and a greater desire for you. So, Father, even as we look at your word this morning, direct us. Help us know what to do with it. Help us know how to apply it. Help us to know how to live it out. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. and name we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 6. So as the church grows numerically in the book of Acts, so will the needs, right? As more people come in, there's going to be more needs. And so the church is known at this time for her care and love for one another. Uh, we 're going to talk more in depth about this next week about what the church did, how the church related to each other, what family, what fellowship looks like we 'll we'll get into that next week i don 't want to get into that too much, but but that 's what that 's what defined the church. I mean they loved one another, they cared for one another, even to the point of where they sold their stuff why to, to help meet the needs of everybody in the church and so the church is known for that they 're devoted also to the apostles' teaching so it 's what we know as, as god 's word the old testament they were they were devoted to to what the, the apostles proclaimed and told them. Um, uh, the things that God pressed upon their heart, they, they, were, they were devoted to that. And so what we see in the book of Acts here in the early church is growth comes, what comes with it, problems. Uh, now, they're good problems, and they're problems that we pray for in this place. We want growth. We want those, God, we'll take those problems. We would love to have those problems, try to figure out how to meet the needs of the people, how to care for one another, how to walk with each other. Uh, we, we want these type of problems here in our church as well. So this morning, as we start out here with the book of Acts, we're going to see the church start to feel the pains of that's uh, going to come with a thriving and growing church. Acts six, starting in verse one. This is what God's word says. It says, "Now in these days, these days Jesus has ascended. He is gone. He's given the commission to his disciples to, to go um, make disciples of all nations. He, he's given them that the church here uh, early in uh, uh, Jerusalem is, is starting to to to, to go at, at the vision and mission that God's given them. So in those days, when the disciples were increasing. In number and so if you've ever read through the book of Acts one of Luke's purposes here in writing the book of Acts is to tell the story of the remarkable growth of the church he pulls back the curtain he lets us see all of the stuff that's happening and so we can pick up on this and notice real real quick how frequently he highlights the growth of the church like in Acts 2 41 so those who received the word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls So Pentecost, the church just explodes. 3,000 souls come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and are added to the church. Acts 2.47, it goes on and says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the church is growing day by day. Day by day. Monday, yeah. People are getting saved on a Monday and becoming a part of the church. Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday at Bible study, yes. Thursday, yes. On the weekend before Sunday at 9, absolutely. Day by day, the church is starting to grow and bust at the seams because God is doing a mighty work in the heart of people. Acts 4.4 4 says this. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. I'm not good at math. So you've got 3,000 plus 5,000 equals in four chapters, church. In four chapters, we go from just a, a few disciples to 12 uh, and then a few others that are followers of Jesus to, to we are, we're running at 8,000, not even knowing the day-to-day salvations and people joining the church. And so the church has just went from nothing to this mighty number of, of just 8,000. And that's just that's just looking at those numbers. There's men and, uh, or there's women and there's children and all those type of things uh, uh, that are taking place and people getting saved. And so they go from a few to eight, over 8,000. Acts 5.14 says this, more than ever ever believers were added to the Lord multitudes both men and women I don't know what multitudes are but I would venture to say that that's a good bit would you so we go from nothing to this huge number and I believe Luke tells us these things because they're good for us to know first of all but he's pointing to the triumphs of the gospel why are people being added to the church because the gospel's being proclaimed People are being told about their great need for Jesus. And what happens? The Holy Spirit works in their heart. As we talked about this a few weeks ago, Uh, he illuminates the reality of their need for him. And as he does that, God saves them. He gets a hold of their heart. How? By just proclaiming who Jesus is. And church, that's all we have to do. Just tell people about Jesus. This is what I've learned in my life. We don't even have to be good at it. We don't even have to know all the answers. Just don't make answers up. Just say, I don't know. I'll get back with you. Like, like some of the things that just blows my mind. I can remember one time uh, I was preaching on a Sunday night at this little old church. And, and I thought, man, I'm like, this this is awful. Not them, me. Me, the presentation of the gospel. Me telling uh, the, the, the scriptures and, and whatever I felt like God had put on my heart. I thought maybe he kind of missed it. Um, and so, uh, because it could never be me, right? I mean, it's just the world we live in. So um, I'm the best preacher I know. And so, um, so as I'm just pouring out my heart and just kind of sharing, I'm like, gosh, will this ever get over? It's over, and I'm like, all right, let's band come on up, and they come up, and they sing a song, and there's this little girl that comes down, about middle school age, and she comes down, and she gives her heart to Christ, and I'm like, are you sure? I might mean, have this conversation with her, I'm just kind of adding right now, but, but, but I was like are, like, are you serious? And in that moment, God, God let me know real quick. He's like, I, I don't know how big and bad you think you are, or how great you think you are at this thing, but you just need to know something. It's all about me, and I'm the one that accomplishes and does. Not some little measly guy standing on the stage telling people about me. No, 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 it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that draws lost man to them. And in what I thought to be a very bad presentation of the gospel, a little girl comes to know Jesus Christ as a result. Why? Because Jesus was proclaimed. And so church, I tell you that story to encourage you. That's all you have to do. I mean, tell them about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Let him know what Jesus has done in your life. Let him know how he's changed you, how he's shaped you, how he's... Just tell him your testimony. Who you were before Christ, how you come to know Christ, and what he's done since knowing him. I mean, That's all you have to do. Because, hear me, not one of us in this room has the power to save somebody. Not one of us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And, hear me, we've been commissioned to tell, to share, to let people know. And that's what the early church is doing, pointing to the triumphs of the gospel. And so that needs to be us. That needs to be a picture of us. So what I'm praying for this year is this, is that God would use us to reach 20 people. That, that's it, to reach 20 people. I'm praying more than that. But, but the starting point that God would use us in such a way, the men and women in this place, the guy that stands on the stage, the band that leads, the people that serve in this building, that God would use us in gospel conversations, in gospel ways to share who Jesus Christ is. And as a result of that, God saves 20 people. That's what I'm praying, that he would use, and I'm not talking about in a service, I'm talking about out there, that we would go and that we would take this message of good news of the gospel to the, to the communities, and we would let the people that we work with know about Jesus, we would let our neighbors know about Jesus, and that we would open our mouth and we would share. And I'm begging God to help us see 20 people saved as a result of the men and women that serve and sit in this place week in and week out. And so we need to be doing that. And so one of the things that Luke's going to show us today here in the book of Acts is, is how to work through the pains of growth. How to, how to see that and assess that and what to do with it. And they do it with restructuring some leadership and responsibilities. Let's, let's continue. Let's, let's look at what happened. So the church has grown exponentially here. And he says, A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so there was a group of people here being being Overlooked. A group of people here that felt like they were being slighted, and so uh, in, in all reality, when you look at this scripture, the Hellenists in the scriptures would be people that would be viewed as second class. They would be viewed as not as important. They'd be considered a minority in the church, which maybe could explain the, why they were overlooked. Which again is still not acceptable. That's not acceptable for the church that loves one another, that cares for one another, to overlook people that have nothing to do with certain people. And so I'm going to press us always, church. We need to go after the nations. We need to go after everybody, whether they look like us, whether they talk like us, whether they act like us, whether regardless of how different they are. We need to take the gospel to lost man, because men and women and kids and everybody needs to know about the love of Jesus Christ. So there's a group of people here in the church being overlooked. And so the complaint gets back to the 12 apostles, to the 12, to the 12 um, that, that are over in charge of this. And verse 2 says, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. And so you've got the disciples, the 12 that walked with Jesus, well, the, the new one that's been added, the 12 there. And you've got some others that are kind of head of the church, helping out, doing some things, and they all get together. And they're going to try to figure things out. And this is what they said. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, it's not that serving's a bad thing. That's not it. And we lead by example. As, as leaders in the church, we do that. But, but, but it was that the apostles, they weren't going to forsake their calling of preaching, of, of praying, of teaching, of leading, of studying the word of God. When there's capable people to be doing those things. They weren't going to be drawn away from what God had gifted them and what God had pressed upon their heart to be doing and to be about. And so they say, we're just not going to give that up. And so it's not that the apostles will not let anything, however pressing, distract them from those duties. It's just... They needed to be about what God had called them to. They needed to be about uh, uh, the word and prayer and being whenever the people to be able to serve and take care of each other. And so what did the apostles do? I'm happy you asked. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, he's referring to the disciples there, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. It's just men of good reputation. That's what I want you to do. Pick out seven men. He goes on and says this, and he describes them in, in fuller depth. He says, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. So he wants men who obviously have been saved, right? Because you get the Holy Spirit when? At, at salvation, at conversion, right? When regeneration takes place and you, you come alive and, and who Christ is, you cross from death to life. So it's, it's obviously men who are saved, people who, who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, who are walking in him. They're, they're filled with the Spirit. And then he says of wisdom, so he wants these people to, to have knowledge and understanding that they act upon. Not just a bunch of stuff that they know, but, but, but stuff that they know. And then they do something with what they know. So, so I want you to look for men like that. They're full of Spirit and wisdom, have wisdom who will be appointed to this duty. And so what that's just teaching us, what that's showing us is this. Is that these men are going to be yielded to God's control in every area of their life. They're going to be focused on serving the Lord, walking with the Lord these men are here, what we would call deacons. If you look at the scripture and you look at what a deacon is, this is a picture of one who would serve as a deacon. And, and, and I just want to caution you for a moment because deacon is not a bad word in the church. Deacon is not an ungodly word. Deacon is not a bad thing. The problem is, is that the church in America has elevated the role or the position of deacon to something that is never intended to be, something that's not biblical. That's the problem is that we as a church have allowed for too long uh, this position to be defined and and, uh, this role to be something that that God never intended for it to be. And so what we see here is these men acting as deacons, being appointed as deacons in this scripture. And So what we know, though, to be true is that whenever power and position is given to someone, that can go to somebody's head. But what we see here, if someone's full of the Spirit and they have wisdom, that should never be the case. This should be a position of humility. This should be a position of calling. This should be a position of, man, I, I can't wait to serve. These, these people here are the people that say, what can I do to help? What can I do to lead? What can I do to help take responsibility off? What can I do to allow the ones that are, that are in another position to be able to, to do what they need to do to accomplish what God has called them to do? And, and so what we see in the scriptures are positions of deacons and elders or pastors, overseers. And and the two are the ongoing church offices that are taught in the New Testament. I mean, so this is just right from the scriptures. We're going to look at that here in just a few moments. Right from the Word of God, this is how the early church was set up and organized. You've got deacons and you've got elders. And so, what is a deacon? What does that mean? And so, the word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, and it usually has this general meaning of servant. A deacon is just a servant. A deacon is, is someone who has the heart of service. They want to serve, and they want to do, and they want to help out any way possible. And so I want to give you a few examples real fast. You've got Jesus who comes on the scene in Matthew 20, 28, and it says that Jesus came to serve, not be served. Example of, of deacon there, serving. Therefore, he taught that a good leader is one who serves. Luke twenty two twenty six, 26, serving again. Acts 19, Timothy and Euratus and, and um, are described as those who serve Paul. Deacon-like uh, uh, actions there. And so the basic meaning of Diaconon, it's just practical, it's active, it's helping with the respect to the basic necessities of life. How can I help? How can I serve? What can I do? And so deacons were distinguished from elders in that they were not the governing body of the church, nor were they in charge with the duty of authoritative teaching. They weren't the governing body of the church. But what's happened in the church in America is that we put deacons, or we've uh, uh, ordained deacons, and what they do is that they feel like, okay, well now we just need to run the church. Let's run the church and get this place in tip-top shape, and let's whip this pastor and these people and all this stuff into shape, and let's do what we need to do. And that's not the picture in the scriptures. That's not the heart behind that position at all. It's one of a servant. One of a servant. So, so what's their responsibilities? And so the deacon's responsibilities appears that this office exists to assist the leadership of the church by uh, relieving the elders of distractions and pressures that would divert them from the ministry of the word, prayer, general uh, visionary type stuff, overseeing of the church, shepherding of the people, that they're there to relieve pressure. Much of what we see in the book of Acts chapter 6 here. And there's this need that has arose, I need to be about the word, I need to be about praying for our people, I need to be about shepherding. I need to be about those type of things and what happens is, is when that takes me away or when that takes these the, uh, disciples away from that what they're commissioned to do for the early church and she'll get shaky and, I mean we already know if you read through the book of Acts and you read through the New Testament but there are all kinds of false doctrines there's all kinds of false pretenses there's, there's as what the scriptures would call uh, wolves in sheep's clothing that's going to try to slip in and going to try to uh, give false doctrine false theology try to, try to uh, make it a works based salvation type thing And what I've learned is that today's day is absolutely no different. That there's all kinds of thoughts and principles and and doctrines that try to slip into the church. And so the deacon's responsibility is to take that pressure off so that the elders can lead in the word and in prayer. And so a deacon is one who would be ready to assist the elders of the church in any service. And that would support and promote the ministry of the word. Support and promote the ministry of the word. Let, let, me, let me try to make this, uh, make this kind of stick a little bit. Uh, Scott, can you put up that picture real quick, the one that I give you there at last? Can you throw that up for just a second? Boom. Awesome. Now, what this happens to be is our Thursday night men's basketball time. Um, and, and if you look in this picture, I think there may be one or two that come from this church that come to play. And, and so we have got a group of guys that meet here on Thursday night to play basketball. Um, and so in your bulletin, it says that we've got that going on, but we're actually going to have to pump the brakes on that for about five weeks uh, because Randy, who's over this, is going to have to be out of town for work, some different things coming up, stuff like that. He's going to be out of the country a little bit, some different things going on. And so what we're going to have to do is for five weeks, we're going to have to push pause on this. And, and I don't know if you noticed right here, but look at these guys. I mean, they're locked into the gentleman sharing the word. And this, this is another guy who goes to another church, and we just asked him if he'd do the devotion that night. I mean, they've been playing basketball, so they're sweaty and nasty for an hour and a half here. And so then what they do is they, they, they call time out and they gather up and they gather around the guy and he's going to open up his Bible and he's going to proclaim the word of God. And, and so as he does that, what we've seen happen here is, is, that, is that all of these guys, everybody stays for this. But what we've noticed is that there's a couple guys after this moment, then they leave you got your run on, dude. You can go, right? You would think that would be the mentality and the thought, but no. What do they do? Out of respect? I don't know. Maybe out of a hunger for God's word? I don't know. Maybe out of a time to see what God has to say and what he wants to do. They stay and they hear the word of God proclaimed. And then a few of them will say, all right, man, we've got to go for the night. See you later. Get in their cars and go home. But what's going to happen for the next five weeks is we're not going to be able to do that. And we're not 100% certain yet. Some of them say they go to church. Some of them probably don't. I, I, we're, we're trying to infiltrate and get to know and build a relationship. Well, so we can really find out, see where these guys are. But what I do know is because I've been there a few times, is that these guys are locked in when the Word of God is proclaimed. They are respectful. They sit upright. They listen. They interact. They answer questions. And so what's going to happen, though, is for five weeks they're not going to get that. So what I'm trying to paint a picture of is simply this. Is what do we need? We need a deacon. We need somebody to step up and say, you know what, I— I got you, the next five weeks I can be at that gym. And this isn't a guilt-tripping. I'm not trying to do that right now. I'm just simply saying that I believe that this is a vital ministry opportunity that we have. Because we've got anywhere from 13 to 25 guys that don't go to our church that show up here once a week. Show up here once a week to run up and down a court, and then they get to hear the Word of God with the hopes of that back door being a way to get people into the front. It gives us an opportunity to be able to meet a need in this community. To get to know people. And so what I'm saying is this, is what would be great is if we had a deacon that would step up and say, hey, you know what, five, I can do that for five weeks. You don't even have to play. You don't even have to be good. All we need is just a, a willing, warm body to sit in a seat to make sure guys don't kill each other. And then we've got, it. we've got another pastor from another church that comes. He can do the devotion. I mean, he can tell people about Jesus if you don't feel comfortable in doing that. I mean, we've got a great opportunity there. I'll tell you another conversation that I had with a good friend this week. We're talking about Serve Saturday coming up March 21st, right? Here in a few weeks, we've got Surf Saturday coming up. And as Surf Saturdays coming up, uh, what Tyler and I have done is we've kind of racked our brains. And we've tried to get some uh, uh, things set up and lined up for Surf Saturday. And so I was, I was talking to, to, the, to my good friend this week and as we're talking. He's like, man, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about it? I said, yes, I would love to. I said, but the problem is, man, I just need somebody that could be over that ministry. That could, I need a deacon that's going to step up and says, you know what? My heart is for service. My heart is for missions. Man, I would love, and hear me, we've got some great people that are helping head up some things, but I would love to have somebody that we can say, hey, you know what? Your ministry and your mission this year is to be over Serve Saturday. And so right now what we do, and this is just kind of an entry-level type thing for our church, right? We're trying to get acclimated to it. We're trying to let it become part of our DNA, and we don't want to overwhelm it first. And so what we're doing is we're going to set up Serve Saturday, March 21st, and we're going to go out and do some, some little projects from about, uh, about, about 9 to noon, and we'll come back here, and we're going to feed you. We're going to hear about what God did amongst you, amongst the people that you got to serve. But, man, what I would love to do, I would love to do a serve weekend where we start like at 12 noon on Friday. And we don't finish that sucker up until Saturday whenever we're done. And we bring those people along with us to church on Sunday, maybe. I don't know. What I do know is this, is that we need a deacon over that. We need somebody that can play that role, that can say, you know what, man, my heart is to serve. And Scott, I want to take whatever I can off of your plate and and the leadership of this church's plate. And I want to to take opportunity to be able to serve and to be a part of that. I mean, I have got a heart and a drive for missions, and I would love to be able to do that. And just look for projects, look for opportunities, look for, for ways to serve. So that's what the deacon looks like. That's the position of deacon in the church. That, that's what it's supposed to be like. Not a lording themselves over, not a governing body, none of that. But it's, it's supposed to be a heart of a servant who says, you know what, there's a need, I'll take it. I got it. I can do that. I would love to be a part of that. That's what a deacon is. That's the biblical definition and picture of what a deacon in that ministry looks like. So so let's continue. Now we're going to see the apostles' calling. And and this is what we would consider to be more of an elder or overseer role. Verse 4 says this. It says, But we, we being the apostles, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so what we see here is the apostles, who we would call um, elders, overseers, they're going to pledge and devote themselves to praying and spending time in the word. So, So what is an elder? What does that mean? See, according to the New Testament, elders are responsible for the primary leadership and oversight of the church leadership and oversight of the church and the New Testament teaches that that elders is a plurality there's a plurality of leadership over the church for direction for vision for teaching for mission all of those things there's a plurality there and so this means that the church is not to have a unitary leadership where only one man is the ultimate authority doing everything that's not the picture of the New Testament church instead a church is to have a shared leadership a shared leadership and what that means is it provides the benefits of, of balancing people's weaknesses. Balancing people's weaknesses, lightening the workload, providing accountability. When you have a group of men that lead the church, I man, do you not think that there's going to be a conversations where accountability is had? I mean, I see that this is a struggle for you. Let me take that. You do this. So you're gifted in this area. You take that and you run with that and you lead in that area. And that's the picture that we see. We see that the elders of this church there in Jerusalem, Getting some other men together and divvying out responsibility of serving. Why? So that they can be commissioned and they can be focused in on the call of their life, which is to proclaim and preach the gospel and pray for their people. That's what we see take place. So what's the elders' responsibilities? It's this elders lead the church. They teach and preach the word. They protect the church from false teachers. They they shoot down false doctrine. They they go against those who raise their head to 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 teach falsely. They exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine. They visit the sick, they pray, and they judge doctrinal issues. That's what the elder does. And so the biblical and biblical terminology, elder, shepherd, overseer, they lead and care for the local church. That's what an elder does. That's what we see being played out and lived out here. That's, the, that's the, the, the verbiage that we see in the New Testament. As Paul writes letters to Timothy, as Titus, as those type of things take place and happen, that's the verbiage and the setup for the New Testament church. John Piper gives a comment. He gives a quote, and this is what he says. This is just a summary from John Piper on, on the biblical use of, of the terms elder, pastor, overseer. This, this is what he says. He says, the New Testament only refers to the office of pastor one Tom is a functional it's a functional description of the role of elders stressing the care and feeding of the church as God's flock, just as bishop overseer is the functional description of the role of elders stressing the governing or oversight of the church. We may conclude, so this is what he says, this is his conclusion. We may conclude, therefore, that pastor and elder and overseer refer to the New Test in the New Testament to the same office. The office stands alongside the deacons, Philippians 1.1 1, 1, and 1 Timothy 3.1-3 in such a way as to show that the two abiding offices instituted by the New Testament are elder and deacon. That's the picture of the New Testament church. That's what we see in the scriptures. That's what's pointed out. That's, that's the way that God has set up his church to function and be and do. Why? So that people can be taken care of. Why? So that people with certain giftings and certain callings can exercise and, and, and do those type of things without being bogged down with things that, that, that just wear them out and, and drag them down. God wants his church to be set up in a way that she's going to flourish, that people are going to be taken care of, that, that we don't have weeks where, where ministry opportunities kind of slip through the cracks, where we have opportunities to go out and make a huge impact in our world, in our community, all the while taking care of one another inside the building. So I'm going to ask you real fast. Turn over to 1 Timothy 3. We'll be back to Acts 6 in just a moment. 1 Timothy 3. And this is just a letter that Paul writes to young Timothy to encourage him as he leads the church. And this is is what Paul instructs Timothy. And this is what he says. I'm just going to read through this quick. There will be another day down the road whenever we come back and we revisit some of this stuff and look at this stuff. But I I want to just do an overview of, of the way that the church should be set up or the way that the church here in the New Testament is set up. And so 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, he says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he uh, desires a noble task. Overseer elder is the picture in the scriptures here, as I've just described you, as I've just told you. And so what Paul tells Timothy is if if anyone has that heart, if you see that in anyone, and they have a desire to to lead uh, the local body in such a way of, of, of spiritual guidance, spiritual directioning, if you see that, I mean, that's a noble task. I mean, that's a great thing to see in someone. He says, therefore, in verse 2, an overseer must be above reproach. Must be above reproach. What that simply means is simply this. is If somebody comes to you and says, hey, do you know what so-and-so is doing? You can always respond with, yeah, actually I do. Because he shares that with me. Because there's accountability. Because in him is our, our, our leading, uh, uh, leading role in the church, we know that. There's accountability. There's conversations. There's type of things. But, but I don't know what you have, but what would you like to share? And that can be debunked quickly because you know you know that doesn't match up to the nature and character. He's above reproach. There's, there, there's never a time when somebody can come and say, hey, but do you know what they're doing? And what I try to share with you and model for you is that that's the way that I try to live my life. And the reality is every person in this room should try to strive to live their way that life. There should never be a part of you that's a secret. There should never be that moment when someone says, hey, guess what I saw? And you have to freak out crud. Were they on my computer? Did they see my phone? Did they, uh, did they get into that closet that I leave locked all the time? There should never be a moment in a believer's life, and especially someone that aspires to be in leadership over the church. So therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. I'm not I'm just not going to dive into that a lot right here. There's, there's a lot of different views of that on the husband of one wife. Does that mean that they have to be married? I just don't believe that that lines up scripturally there. Uh, is, a, is the husband of one wife, is it, can they be divorced? Uh, again, we'll, we'll get into that one day down the road. If you have Questions, feel free to email me. I'd love to get more into that. He says, sober-minded. Self-controlled. Self-control just simply means uh, when when I say no, I mean no, and I don't do it. I, I'm I'm able to say no and live that out. There's nothing that masters me. I'm self-controlled. I can say I can say no and, and actually live out the no. He says respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And this is going to be a, a, a different deciding factor in who a, who an elder or overseer of the church is. They're able to teach. And I don't believe able to teach means that they can stand up here on a stage and, and, uh, uh, and, and give you a sermon, though that may be some of the calling in, in their ministry, in their life. But I don't, mean, I don't believe that that's necessarily what that means specifically. I believe able to teach just simply means they're able to take uh, the scriptures and break down the scriptures. They're able to articulate the gospel and share the gospel. They're able to answer doctrinal questions, theological questions. I, I believe that's what it means. An overseer is someone who can, can rightly handle the word of God can have gospel conversation, can talk about the Word of God. He goes on and says this, they're not a drunkard, they're not violent, but they're gentle. They're not quarrelsome. Quarrelsome just simply means they don't like to just just say no when everybody says yes. Or they don't like to say yes when everybody says no. They're not just walking around looking for an opportunity to get in an argument or a fight or just to cause a fuss. They're not quarrelsome. They're not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well uh, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must, be, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Uh, so this whole thought about not being a recent convert, I mean, you need time to mature and grow. You need time to just kind of figure out what it means to follow Christ, what that looks like, what it means to, uh, to sacrifice for the cause of the gospel, to live as a living sacrifice, those type of things. What he's saying is we don't want to put someone in that position right off. Why? Because then they can become puffed up, they can become conceited. Hey, look look, look at me, I've, just, I've only been saved for two, two weeks, and look at what God's doing now. Ha, 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 And then their understanding and knowledge of the Scriptures may not be there. So what he's saying is somebody needs to be tested. They need to be tested, and they need to be seen to be, to be living this way, to, to know some things about the Lord, to walking out those type of things. He goes on in verse 7, he says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. It's kind of that thought of whenever you say, oh, so-and-so is an elder in the church. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the way he lives his life, the way that he acts and reacts, the way that he does things, he's in absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of the picture there. Verse 80 goes on, and now he's going to distinguish between a deacon. And there's going to be a lot of the same kind of of language and talk here, but he says this, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy uh, for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, verse 10, and let them also be tested first. So it's not just someone, oh, they've come to church two weeks in a row, Their are live body, put them in that position. That's not the picture there. Again, there needs to be maturity. There needs to be testing. They need to prove themselves. It goes on, let them be tested first, in verse 10, then let them serve as a deacon if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be uh, the husband of one wife, managing their children and their household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good understanding for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so what I want to do for a moment is I just want us to feel the weight and the reality of the Scriptures. Because apart from Jesus Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit in our life, I mean, there's not a person. There there is not a person when you read that list that says, Yep, yep, them check, 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 check. No struggles, no th- no no. There, there's not one person. But I think the heartbeat behind all of this is that of humility and that of, of growing, that of maturing, that of desiring all the more of Jesus and his ways. There's a heart of compassion and the heart of recognition and realization that, man, I've got a long way to go and God is working. But if there's any way that I can serve, any way that I can be a part of, I want to lead however possible with humility and care. And I want to die to self. And I want to lead like Jesus. This is a picture of how Jesus leads. All of those things right there. And so it's a very serious role. It's a very serious thing in the church, leadership in the church. I'm I'm thinking, I think it's over in in Peter, Peter James, where uh, it says, not many of you will presume to be teachers, my brother, because of those of you who are teachers, you'll be judged more harshly, more stricter is the picture there. I think the same thing goes here. God's going to hold those of us that lead in the local church to a higher standard. There's an expectation. Why? Because we have influence over people. We have influence over people. Like, like, do you, like do you realize that people look to us? oh you're a leader in the church and what that will do is that will either push people closer to Christ or further away from Christ you live your life that way you do that oh, then that gives everybody else the freedom and right to do it all the while hear me church we're not the standard Jesus is the standard only I'm going to echo what Paul says only follow me and do what I do as I do what Christ does that don't do it, me enough and care for me enough to let me know Hey, Scott, maybe there's this blind spot in your life and you need, to, you need to just see this, or you just need to hear this for a moment. Take me to the Scriptures, show me, teach me, help me. Because what I know is this, is that I've not arrived. And neither has anybody in this room because you're still here. You arrive when you're in the presence of God. That's when everything becomes known. That's when completeness is had, is in the presence of Almighty God for all eternity. And so we're going to talk a lot more about that in depth next week. So the... Ba- Ben's going to come back up, and I'm going to close back out with Acts chapter 6, verse 5. And, and look at how this concludes in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. And, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. That's it. They get together. They formulate a plan. What do they do? They put some people, uh, some of them in as deacons. Some of them continue in that role of elder. And they agree that this is a change that needs to happen. This is the way that that it needs to be handled and and, and this is what we should be doing. And then what do they do? They take it to the congregation and tell them. And what does that do? It pleases everybody. Why? Because needs are met. People are taken care of. Uh, They see the need there and they're going to move in a way that's going to honor God and meet people's needs and care for one another. And that has to happen in churches that are experiencing growth. That has to happen. That has to take place. Uh, They had never been that big before. They've never been in the place that they are in as a church. That's never happened that way. They go from twelve and a few to over eight thousand and continuing to grow. I mean, so they've got to do some things differently. They've got to make some changes. And so, what I would venture to say with you is this: is so do we, church? So do we. We are a different church now than when we were planted thirteen years ago. We're in a different location. We've got different people. Same mission, same vision, same word of God. Just the way that we do things is just a little bit different. But that's going to happen. Why? Because we were planted in 2006. It's 2020. Right? Things are different. The world's different. The methods and stuff that we did in 2006 doesn't work today in 2020. And I think that's what's happened in the church. Is we're so far behind the curve and we think the heyday was in the 80s. I'm just here to tell you, the 80s is not the heyday. I mean have you seen the haircuts i mean don't even talk to me about fashion parachute pants are you kidding me like like i saw something on facebook last night about these windbreaker suits like do you remember those like who had those all matchy matchy like windbreaker i'm here i mean i mean there was nothing cool about that and don't even get me started on spandex god save us whoever in their right mind says spandex is a good uh spandex. I'll put that on. Never, never a good fashion decision. And my fear is what's happened in the churches. we're the same way. Oh, but this, but we did that, but this happened there, and this happened there, and we did it like that, and we did it. And I know change is hard. Gosh, I want to be careful up here this morning because I know changes doesn't bother me as you can see, and you've probably figured out over this last year. I mean, Scott changes stuff like he changes his underwear. I mean, I just want us to be more intentional, more focused. I want us to do whatever we have to do to reach people, to make this place a place that feels like home, to make this place a place where where we can meet needs and we can love people and it's going to attract some and draw some and we have an opportunity to have conversations. So we want to set up places where we can just be relational in the hallways or we can be relational in rooms or we can be relational and talk about the things that matter. I know things have changed. They've changed from the very first day that we were planted. I mean, we're not even in the same place. I've been here for six years, and in the six years that I've been here, there's been astronomical changes taking place. And so what I'm trying to tell you, what I'm wanting to share with you is this is that's okay. Because you know what I I know and what I think is that we'll probably look a little bit different a year from now than we even do right now. But that should be happening in a church that's thriving, in a church that's growing. I mean, we don't have a playground, and here in six, six weeks or so, we're gonna have a playground for our kids. I mean, that's huge change. That's great change. Man, I mean, we didn't have an online service, and now what happens? We've got Facebook online where people come. I mean, I just got a message last week saying, hey, man, I, I wasn't able to make it, but thank you so much for having something online. I mean, we have, we have an app now where you can go and you can be up to date on everything. You can listen to sermons. You can see what we've got going on. You can uh, read about all the stuff that's upcoming. Why? Because we want to be more unified and together. We're going to change. There's going to be things that change and things that happen. Why? Because we want to do everything we possibly can to reach more people, to make a difference in more people's lives. Why? So we can take care of our people all while reaching the world. So, so we're going to grow and we're going to change our structure, our organizations, our, all of that stuff is going to change. But what you can guarantee from the guy that stands on here and is the head, head elder and leader of this church, the pastor of this church, is every change that we make, I'm going to make sure that it coincides with the scripture. Those big, heavy, weighty decisions that we have to make as a church is always going to be bathed in prayer. You don't believe me. You ask those trustees. You ask the people that work with me. We we don't move without praying. And we're always going to base it on the Word of God. And and I will die fighting to preserve that. And in the day that it comes that you say, Scott, no, we're we're going to do what we want. I'm gone. I'm not playing about that. God has commissioned me and called me to lead these people. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead it to the best of my ability with the help of the Holy Spirit, geared and directed and guided by His Word. And we will fight tooth and nail for that. Tooth and nail. The methods will change, but the message never will. And so I don't know what God stirred in your heart. I don't know what's happened in your past with the church. I don't know if when you hear elders, if you think, oh, no, or you hear deacons, you kind of freak out a little bit and kind of get like the dog in the corner and start shaking. I, I don't know what God has stirred in your heart as a result of it. But what I do know is that when the church functions the way that she's supposed to and leadership sees opportunity to serve and die to self, man, the church flourishes. Oh, man, people's needs are taken care of. There's a group of 15 basketball guys that we have an opportunity to love one week in and week out. And there's mission opportunity in this community, which what it does. You know why we go and do missions in our community? Not so we can build something like, hey, look at what we did. Cool, huh? No, why? So we can begin a relationship with people for the purpose of having gospel conversation. That's what we want to do. Yeah, we'll build you a deck if that's going to give us three hours to get to talk about Jesus. I'll build decks all day if that's what it's going to do. That's the whole purpose behind serving. And so we're going to do everything we can to structure ourselves in a way that's going to honor God and it's going to allow us to take care of the men and women in this room all while reaching the world out there. And we're going to do it the way that God shows us with what God expects of us and what he calls us to, how he calls us to be. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart, but, but hear me, I know this. The church has issues, absolutely. We do too. Every, I, there's not a perfect one out there. But we're going to do everything we can to fight To fight for and be the church that God has commissioned and called us to be. And we're going to model it after the Word of God every step of the way. Kick and scream and fight and we don't care. We're going to do that. And that's who we are. Because as we'll see next week, when a church does that, man, God can bless and do and work. And we can get a daggum playground almost donated by the men and women that sit in this place week in and week out. I mean, that's crazy. What you said, what, we're paying for 10% of it from our church budget. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's what God does whenever we obey and we follow. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart, but you be obedient this morning. Can you come pray, have more conversation about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We'd love to talk, pray with you. Father, help us this morning, look into your word and see how you've set up your church. God, I believe that that's going to lend itself for next week as we see what we're, how we're supposed to relate to one another, what we're supposed to do as the body. God, stir in the hearts of your people. God, bring healing God, I know for too long the church has done it the wrong way. And Father God, we want to make sure and we want to ask those difficult questions. God, are we doing and being, where are we being overlooked? Where are the issues this morning? God, we're always going to do that. Father, move in a mighty way in this place. It's all for your name and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. The band's going to lead us. You guys stand. If you want to come pre-